Would you please turn with me in, in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9? And we're going to be looking uh, this Advent, this Christmas season, at some of these um, classic, famous um, texts from the book of Isaiah that talk about the, the coming of the Messiah. And so Isaiah chapter 9 is, uh, Isaiah is kind of in the middle of the Bible, and if you're following with me in one of the blue Bibles that's uh, near you, you can find it on page 573, and let me invite you to stand as we give our attention to God's word together. Isaiah 9, starting in verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest as they are glad when they divided the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the, staff, and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in, the, in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Will you pray with me? God, we pray, I pray that as we give our attention this morning to your word, that we might know more of Jesus, the wonderful counselor, the prince of peace. Would you make him more real to us by the power of your spirit? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, please. <coughs> well, I have a uh, vivid memories. I have vivid memories of... Uh, Christmas as a child, and the sort of uh, anticipation and longing and, and excitement and hope that all little kids have this time of year. I remember my, my little brother and I having, uh, you know, for, for weeks and weeks before Christmas, counting down the days, and then we would always beg my parents the, on Christmas Eve, you know, can we spend the night in the same room? And we would, uh, my parents would tell us in very, very clear terms, you must not get out of bed before 7 o'clock. And usually we'd wake up somewhere around like 3.30 in the morning, I think. And we would look at the clock and we would count down every single minute as the, uh, as the clock, you know, just ticked off the minutes. And uh, when it started getting light, we'd like watch the sun come up and we'd talk about, oh, you know, it's getting light. Only, uh, only three more hours. <laughs> and, um, you know, about 6.40 or so, we'd, we'd get up and we'd, you know, brush our teeth and brush our hair and get dressed. And, and it was the one day of the year that anything we thought our parents would send us back and say, well, but did you brush your teeth already? Did it, you know, anything that they might 
um, send us back for we do it beforehand and so um, we couldn't wait we couldn't wait to run down the stairs and to dive into the presence under the tree and I know that all of us have um, similar memories right similar memories of the sense of uh, hope and longing and anticipation at Christmas well this is our first Christmas season as a church and so what I want to talk about this year, very simply, is the meaning of Christmas. What, what does Christmas mean? Uh, now, let me just say this. I, I, if I don't say this, somebody's going to send me an email. Um, technically, Christmas does not start until December 25th. So uh, I know Jason is just sighing a big breath of relief that I said that, okay? It's Advent that starts today. And Advent is this season of the four Sundays before Christmas, and Christmas starts on the 25th of December, and, it, and it, uh, it goes for 12 days. You know when all the marketing people send us these emails counting down the 12 days of Christmas? They're doing it wrong, because Christmas starts on Christmas Day and proceeds for 12 days until Epiphany. So you learned something this morning. Um, but that's beside the point. The meaning of Christmas, the meaning of Advent, um, what is the meaning of Christmas? What I want to say about Christmas this morning is this, that we should all long for, for the coming of Jesus like our kids long for the coming of Christmas. We should have as much hope for Jesus' coming as our kids do when they meticulously write out and recopy and evaluate their Christmas lists and think about how to rank things higher and lower. We should have that much level of anticipation for the coming of Jesus. The word Advent means arrival. It means coming. It's, uh, uh, the, it, during Advent, we, we look back to the first Advent, the first coming of Jesus. But Advent is also a reminder that we live in this sort of in-between time, that we live in the time in between Jesus' first coming and when he will come again. And so even though we're looking back to his first coming, we're also looking forward in Advent to the time when he will come and finish his work and make everything right, when the Messiah will finally put everything right. So Advent should fill us, Christmas should fill us with hope and with longing. Human beings have always had this sense that one day everything will be right with the world, right? Um, we've always had this sense that uh, there's kind of, uh, there's the one, there's this person, there's some person that someday the right person will show up and fix everything. And um, it goes back really to, to Adam and Eve um, in the Garden of Eden. But um, we see it, I mean, it's so deeply woven into who we are as people that you see it all, I mean, it's in, um, it's the storyline of so many movies, right? Um, I mean, The Matrix is maybe one of the most obvious for those who, uh, you know, are around my age. You know, Neo is the one, and they've been waiting for the one, and, and, uh, and he's the one who's going to make everything better. Um, Star Wars, right? Um, what's the first, uh, you know, episode four, right? The first one is uh, A New Hope. Right? It's, about, it's about somebody who would finally come and make everything right. Um, our longing for the one who will make everything right, I think, is part of the reason why we freak out so much about elections. I sort of promise I won't mention an election next week. But um, just one last thing on the election, right? Not because we disagree so much about the issues as, 
as, I mean, of course that's part of it, but we have our hope wrapped up in this person that this person is going to be the one who's going to fix everything. Well, Christmas is about the coming of the Messiah, the one to whom all of these other ones that we put our hope in uh, at best are just a, a, a faint glimmer, a shadow. Christmas is about the coming of the Messiah. It's about the one finally showing up, the one that we've been waiting all our lives for, even if we didn't know it. Christmas brings hope, and it also brings longing. It brings hope because um, the Messiah is the one who will make everything right. But it also brings longing because we live in this in-between time, when everything is not, we know too well, everything is not right with the world. And the Messiah has not yet come back to finish his work. We live in a time between when the promise has been made and when it has been finally fulfilled. So that's what Christmas should feel like. Hope and longing. Look at this passage with me. I want you to see, I think we're only going to get to three things. I have four things in my notes, but I'm guessing we're only going to get to three of them. <laughs> so the first thing that I want you to see about the hope of Christmas is that it's completely unexpected. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, it's completely unexpected. I, I, and we have to see this, but I, I have to say that this Christmas story is so well known, and Joseph and Mary, um, you know, showing up at the inn, and there's no room at the inn, and the baby Jesus being born in a stable uh, and being laid in the manger. I, I mean, it, it's so well known in our, in our time, in our culture, that I feel like it loses some of the impact of just how odd and how unexpected um, the coming of the Messiah actually is. And um, you see some of that in, in verse 1 of Isaiah 9. Um, these words, these places that are mentioned, Zebulun and Naphtali and Galilee, um, they're referring to places uh, in the promised land um, where the Messiah would come from. Uh, but the thing that's lost on us, because we don't know the geography of of Israel, uh, the thing that we don't that we don't recognize is these were like the backwaters of Israel, um, and what what God is saying in this passage is is this that if God is going or what Isaiah is saying is that if God is going to do something big, and the Messiah who is the hope of the world uh, is going to arrive and finally put everything right, we would expect that that would begin from a very significant place, right? We would expect that that would happen at like a royal palace in Jerusalem, in, the, in kind of the, uh, you know, God's headquarters on earth. We would expect that that's where it would come from. But it happens not just in the middle of nowhere. It happens in kind of like a redneck podunk town. It would be like, you know, imagine if I were to tell you about this great new thing that, uh, that God is doing, and, and it's, it's just so innovative, and it's, it's world-changing, and, and um, if, you, if you're a part of this, it's going to change your life. And you say, well, where, where is this thing happening? And I'm like, well, you've got to get on the 15 and go north to Barstow, because that's where this thing is going on. You'd be like, I don't think I'm going to go there, right? Like, what, could anything good come out of Barstow? Um, now, if you're from Barstow or, um, yeah, <laughs> if you're from Barstow, I apologize. Um, but if you're from Barstow, then you probably are more aware than the rest of us of what it would be like to be from Barstow. Um, <laughs> how's that for an insightful statement? <laughs> Nothing good is going to come out of there. Um, that's the way the Messiah shows up. 
This is the way God works. And we see this in almost every aspect of the story of the birth of Jesus. Um, Jesus is born not in a royal palace, but in a, in a, uh, in a stable, right? Where there's animals being um, you know, sheltered. Uh, Jesus is born not to like a royal, rich family. Um, Jesus is born to a poor, unwed teenage peasant girl, right? You, you look at the story and like, this is so, this is what God is going to do in the world. And what all of this means is this, that Jesus had none of the marks of greatness. Um, none of what you would expect to see from someone who is going to make a mark on the world. There was no, um, there was no obvious sign uh, uh, surrounding Jesus' birth that he was going to be the one, and yet he is the one through whom God is going to make everything right. What it means is that there was glory going on, and nobody even recognized it. And we're so used to thinking that bigger is better, and uh, we, are so, um, we are so swayed by appearance, right? Um, I mean, especially in Southern California, image, uh, how something looks is so important to us. What something looks like, what something appears to be. And this passage is showing us that the most influential person in the history of the world is born in utter obscurity in some redneck town. What that means is that God loves to work in ways that we would never expect. What does it mean to live with the hope of Christmas? Well, the first thing it means is that living with the hope of Christmas means that we should not be enamored with image, or we should not be, we should not be blinded with the way things appear, because God loves to work through the unexpected. You know what happens when you live in a culture that's as focused on appearance as, as ours is? Um, we try and we try and we try, and we're exhausted. Right? If we really admit it, um, you know, you work and you work and you work, and it seems like it's just never quite enough. No matter how successful you are, you know, you might um, you might have somebody in mind. You might think, you know, uh, yeah, I'm struggling, but that person, that person's got it all together. You know, if you talk to that person, they don't think they've got it all together, right? We only we work so hard, and yet we only see our flaws. What this passage is telling us is this, that God sees you. That you don't have to be big and significant and influential. Uh, that God works through obscure people. You might be struggling. You might be struggling at work. You might have been passed over for a promotion. You might have to deal daily with a boss's unreasonable expectations or erratic behavior. And what this passage is telling you, the hope of Christmas, is that God sees you that God cares for you and that God is at work even in the midst of the obscurity of your situation. Or, or I could say like this um, a little bit differently. You might feel like everybody in South Orange County has just got the look like dialed in, right? And you might think, you know, I'm not the kind of person that could go to Starbucks in my workout gear, <laughs> right? I could never, I could never be one of those people, um, and maybe you don't feel attractive, maybe you don't feel fit, and what I want you to know is that God sees you, and God loves you, 
And God is satisfied with you in Jesus. The hope of Christmas is this, that God works in unlikely places through unlikely people for the good of the world. That's what God is doing. That's the hope of Christmas. So don't be enamored with or blinded by image and appearance. Okay, that's the first thing. The second thing um, that I want you to see is that um, hope comes into the world through the God-man. And again, you know this story. Um, but not only does God come into the world in unexpected ways, he comes into the world himself. God doesn't send a messenger. He doesn't just send like an angel to do his dirty work for him. But God comes into the world himself. In uh, verses 6 and 7, probably the most famous words, um, well, just in verse 6, uh, it, it says this, for, um, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Um, I, I don't have nearly the time <laughs> that we could take to unpack, but there are these four titles that are given to Jesus. And if you notice, two of them very obviously can only be applied to somebody who is divine, to God himself, right? Everlasting Father. He, he, you know, he's the father of all and he lasts forever. That could only be describing God. Um, I mean, the other one, mighty God, just quite literally a name for God. The one who comes to deliver us and to make the world right is God himself. And yet, it says he's born, right? He's God and yet he's born. He's a human being. He's, he's born into the world as a baby. I know that you've heard this story um, so many times that it doesn't like smack you in the face like it should, but maybe we can just try for a minute um, because this is, this is so incredible um, that God enters into the world out of obscurity, that God comes into the world and he shows up not as this, you know, if God is going to show up on earth, it's going to be grand and it's going to be big and it's going to be obvious, right? But he shows up and it's this little baby, I mean, how unbelievable is that? Jesus Christ is fully God and fully human. Do you see, um, you see how astounding that is? How, how almost impossible to believe that is? Um, I mean, one way to put it is no, no other world religion has ever made a claim like that. Um, and for those who might say, you know, all religions basically teach the same thing. I think it's sort of a, uh, a reflection that you haven't actually studied any of them very thoroughly. Because most religions would find the idea, many religions, I guess, would find the idea that God um, became a baby insulting. They, that wouldn't be beautiful. That would be undesirable um, in the eyes of many world religions. Um, but this is what the Bible says. This is what Christians believe that God became a man. Colossians 1 says this. Um, it says, by him, by Jesus, by the Messiah, by this one who's coming into the world, by him all things were created. Okay, everything in the world, everything in the universe that's created was created by Jesus. And all things hold together in him. That it's not just impersonal laws of physics that keep you know, the universe spinning. I don't know if the universe spins, uh, you know, the planet spinning at least, um, but it's actually Jesus 
who upholds all things and keeps the universe together. Now, we can understand that, like, the deity that's implied in that statement, right? That God created everything and that God sustains everything and keeps everything going. But what Isaiah is telling us is the one who created everything, he became an embryo in the womb of a teenage girl. Isn't that unbelievable? Um, the one who keeps the universe spinning, who keeps the planets spinning on their axis, becomes a helpless baby. I mean, think about Jesus, a baby. Uh, who's keeping the universe spinning when the one who created it is an infant who can't care for himself? And the mystery of Christianity is that it's the infant who can't care for himself is the one who keeps the universe in order. Isn't that unfathomable? And here's what that means for us. It means that either we must worship him or we must walk away. Um, see, one of the problems that we face is that the story of Christmas and Jesus in, in general is so common that we can talk about, like, well, I like Jesus, you know. I, like, I, I think he's a good teacher. Um, listen, Jesus is not like Oprah or Gandhi or um, the Dalai Lama or Martin Luther King or, um, you know, somebody you might listen to on talk radio where you say, well, you know, some of this is pretty okay and some of it's nuts or whatever. <laughs> um, Jesus doesn't leave that option open to us. If God has come into the world as a baby to become a man, to live and die and be raised again for us, and to one day come back and make everything new, then the idea that we like Jesus just isn't an option that he's left open to us. He's either God who has become a man, in which case we have to give ourselves to him and build our lives around him, or he's a lunatic, and you just dismiss him and move on. What the Bible's claiming is that just, uh, there's this quaint little story about this uh, family that couldn't find a room in an inn, um, and so their baby was born by the animals. Uh, what the Bible is claiming is that Christmas is God's rescue mission. That Christmas is God coming to earth to find and rescue us. A couple of years ago, I was, um, I was speaking at a camp in Northern California, and I, um, I was driving a like 15-passenger van full of teenagers <clears throat> down the five at like you know, 85 miles an hour, and this billboard on the side of the road caught my attention. And the reason it caught my attention is because it was clearly not designed by a professional. And on this billboard, there were three snapshots of like a seven or eight-year-old boy. And I saw it so fast, these three pictures, and below it, it said, I will find you. I will never give up. Love, Mom. And I just, driving down the freeway, silently weeping with these teenagers in the back. And guys, that's, that's the message of Christmas. That you have a parent who loves you so much that he has given up everything to come and find you. There is no cost that is too great. He will not give up. And if that's true, it'll bring joy and meaning and purpose 
and fulfillment and a happiness into your life. And you'll build your life around him in response. And if it's not true, it's not just a good story, it's a hoax. And you should walk away very quickly. <laughs> okay, third thing. Um, that the hope of Christmas must be received as a gift. The hope of Christmas must be received as a gift. Um, what this passage is telling us is that there is this epic battle that is taking place. And the forces of evil are going to be overthrown by this one who will come, the one who is the Messiah. And the Messiah will come, and evil will be overturned, and everything will be made right. And then what it's saying is that you get the benefit of that without having to lift a finger. Verse 6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The hope of Christmas is a gift it cannot be earned, it cannot be, um, you cannot merit it, you do not deserve it, but it has to be received as a gift. And because it's a gift, it has to be received humbly. And there's a sense in which every gift has to be received humbly. Um, you know, one of the f funniest things that I do regularly is, you know, go out to eat, I mean, I've done this with many of you, or we go, we go out to eat, and then the, then, then the check comes, right? And there's this moment of awkwardness where, like, Especially two men, you got to kind of like square off and like, oh, who, I'm, I'm going to pick up the tab. Yeah. You know what, I've been like, <laughs> I just let people pay. Now it's fine. I've given up on the pride of, of trying to pay for my meals. But, um, but, you know, it takes swallowing of your pride to do that. But um, there's, a, there's some, some gifts that can only be received as a critique. Like imagine if you were to open up a, a present on Christmas morning. Underneath the tree, there's a present. It's got your name on it. And you unwrap it, you open it up, and it's a dieting book. Like, okay, all right. Or you, you open up a present, and it's, got, it's like a stick of deodorant. And you're like, okay, somebody's clearly trying to communicate something to me here, right? Um, and, and, and probably what's happening is that um, you need those things, right? Um, you need them, but if, in order to use them, uh, in order to receive them and actually make use of them, you have to humble yourself. You have to accept the, the critique that is implied in the giving of that gift. And the gift of Jesus Christ given to the world at Christmas is the most humbling gift ever given. What, what the gift of Jesus, the hope of Christmas, means is that we are, so, uh, we are such a mess um, that just you know, a little bit more trying a little bit harder wasn't going to fix the problem that we are such a mess that God had to come to earth himself. That he had to live for us, that he had to die for us, that he had to be raised again for us. That must mean that we are in really bad shape because nothing else would save us. The wonder of Christmas is that it shows us that there was, is no length to which God is not willing to go in order to save us. Isaiah 9 says this, that the people walking in darkness, have seen a great light. That's the hope of Christmas. That no matter how dark the world is, that a light has dawned. That Jesus Christ has come into the world and he will return to make everything right again. Is the darkness gone from the world? No, not yet. Because we live in this in-between time. We live with the already, his already coming, but 
his not yet finishing everything he promised to do. But we don't live, you know, with just kind of a vague wish that things might get better. Like I might wish that somebody is going to get me a really expensive Christmas gift. <laughs> right? We live with hope that grandma writes big checks every year. And we don't necessarily know what the details are going to be. We don't know how many zeros are going to be at the end of that, uh, that check. But it's not in question whether or not it's coming, right? We live with hope because the future is certain. In the Bible, hope is certain. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Friends, that is the hope of Christmas, that God has come into the world, that he has been born as a little baby, raised in obscurity, but become the one, uh, grown into a man, perfectly fulfilling God's law, living completely the life that we were required to live, dying on the cross, paying the penalty for death that we deserved, and raising again to new life as the promise that God will finish the work that he has started. And that's the hope of Christmas. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for these words, the words of Isaiah, the vision uh, that you gave him even before, hundreds of years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. That light has dawned in a world that is often very dark. God, I pray that you would enable us as Christians or people um, just curious about what it might mean to be a Christian living in South Orange County in 2016, that we might live with hope, that we might live uh, with eager longing, uh, yes, for Christmas and gifts, but God, much, much more than that, that we would long for the day when you will finish what you have started in Jesus when everything will be made right again. And that because we live with sure hope that you will finish what you started, God, that we would be a light um, to those in our lives, that we would be lights in a dark world, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces. God, would you shine through us the hope of Christmas. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.